Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update. This one, the final weekly update for the year 5783. Mr. Holmline, Shana Tova, and welcome back to JM in the AM. Shana Tova to you and to everyone. Hopefully a great brand new year for everybody. And, of course, we'll get your message regarding the brand new year coming up toward the end of this conversation. Uh, Let's start with this. Why not? (laughs) Why not uh, end uh, the year with a story that really is one uh, that we could uh, that we could report on and read probably any random day in the last 2000 years. In this case, though, of course, it has to do with some of our modern institutions. Once again, American university campuses are at the forefront of hostile anti-Israel and anti-Semitic activity bordering on the absurd. On September the 22nd through the 24th, in the midst of the Jewish High Holidays, the University of Pennsylvania is hosting the Palestine Rights Literature Festival with known anti-Israel, pro-terror, and anti-Semitic speakers such as Roger Waters, Mark Lamont Hill, Nora Erekat, and representatives from U.S.-designated Palestinian terror groups such as the PFLP, as well as representatives from their affiliates. Mr. Holmline, your reaction to this story? Well, it's one of uh, a number this week that relate to the American campuses and something we've talked about for years. I know the ADL came out with a number of 665 incidents on the campuses in uh, the academic year of uh, 2023, and uh, many of those were protests and other kind of events, but also harassment and, and a few of vandalism. And this is almost double the year before. And this is uh, the shift that we've seen is away from BDS activity, though that continues, and more uh, more blatant anti-Israel and anti-Zionist activity on the campus meant to intimidate Jewish students, prevent pro-Israel activities, but now become much more assertive, as is the case at the University of Pennsylvania, where I did my doctoral work and taught uh, a few years ago. <laughs> and the to, to, to see the deterioration, and it's one manifestation of it, University supposedly put out a statement or was due to put out a statement. I don't know if they actually ever got the uh, the uh, strength, of the, the internal fortitude to actually do it. But they, they to bring on campus Roger Walters and other uh, Waters and other known anti-Semites and anti-Israel activists to to um, allow them to use a campus facility. They would not let it happen were it to be a, a hostile to other ethnic uh, or, or racial groupings and to have an organized hate fest uh, on the campus. And I think it's it's uh, indicative of what we're going to be facing in the year ahead. The campus is, is the breeding ground. More than half of Jewish students say that they have in some way experienced anti-Semitic incidents or witnessed it. The, the um, numbers grow each year. The intensity grows each year. And remember that we're talking about the next generation of, of leaders will be infected with these terrible ideas and Jewish faculty coming under, and pro-Israel faculty, Jewish and non-Jewish, uh, coming under increasing uh, assault and pressure. And uh, as one professor told a friend of mine at a major gathering, which addressed the Middle East and scholars and others were there for an hour and never mentioned Israel. Can we have a discussion on, on the Middle East? And, and he said something. 
And she turned to him and said, I'm a professor at this major university, and I can't mention Israel in my classroom until I'm a tenured professor, or I will have no future. Wow. What a in statement. A university in a, in near New York City, in the New York area, and it's it's one of so many reports that we get constantly in Nahum. People... I, can, I know you have to tell people what they can accept and what they can believe. And, you know, you don't tell them more than that because then they reject the whole thing. Yeah. But, you know, the average person has to be told something nine times before they actually believe it. I think today people are starting really to, to believe it. I'm not an Ivy Leaguer, um, but, but I am. I mean, in my college years and even beyond that, and I'm sure uh, the era you were referring to regarding yourself, I, I think you would say the same thing. University of Pennsylvania had a very, very strong reputation for being uh, for being uh, uh, well-liked in the Jewish community and, and vice versa. Uh, and, and they always had a tremendous Jewish presence on campus, I, I mean, it sounds like the entire atmosphere there is just very different than it might have been, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago? Yes, and also because they've instituted a quota pen to freshman classes, I think, had at least 25% Jewish students. Now, like other major universities, they're limiting it from what we can tell to under 6%. Wow. And this is uh, true, by the way, Harvard, Yale, other major universities, you see the demographic shift. Uh, it's noticeable on campus. Penn's camp Jewish life was very strong. It still is. It's still an active campus. But the um, uh, the when you cut the numbers so dramatically and people feel the lack of presence from before, then that is only one manifestation of it. And and when some administration people uh, at the university were confronted by it, the question, they said, no, we don't have it. And then called back weeks later and said, we did not know. You know, it's funny. At the beginning of the, of the 20th century, it was very difficult, if, if at all possible, depending on the university, for a Jew to be admitted to an Ivy League undergrad program in this country. And now it seems at the beginning of the 21st century, we're back to the same type of system, that if you are a typical, whatever that means, uh, Jew, woman or man, uh, you know, with a typical Jewish background, and that I mean geography, etc. I think everyone knows what I'm alluding to. Uh, if you have that, even with the strongest SATs and the greatest grades based on what you're saying odds are you're not getting in i can tell you kids who have almost perfect records in their high schools and the top high schools are not getting accepted into major universities and there are some universities that are reaching out wash you um, brown others very good schools that are taking advantage of this and opening up their um, enrollment to more jewish students uh, or attracting more Jewish students. I think that the, the um, until World War II, there were very strict quotas. After the war, people, the universities needed money and the Jewish students paid tuition. Mm. And they, uh, you know, the parents worked hard, not because they had money, but because they were so devoted to getting their kids good Jewish, good, good education so mm. they could get jobs. When they faced discrimination in many ways, you know, and, and, the, um, and now we're seeing the reinstitution of those kind of limits. Uh, United Nations General Assembly set to begin after Rosh Hashanah. We've been discussing it. We were curious about the Prime Minister's schedule, etc. Now the rumor is that uh, although he'll be welcomed at the United Nations, he will not be welcomed at the White House. Do you have an update for us regarding how Washington plans on treating or not treating the Prime Minister this upcoming week? 
Yeah, he heard there was going to be a kiddish at the White House, and he so he <laughs> found out there's no kiddish and uh, no free lunch. He's got. They're going to meet on the sidelines at the United Nations, and hopefully, a formal invitation will be extended for him to come at a separate time to um, to meet with President Washington. Yeah, and that could be meaning months from now, right? Meaning the actual date could be months from now. It's not like it could be, right. And I'm, 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 I'm just wondering if it could, if it could calendarically, if it could affect the the election here, like if it's the advantage or disadvantage of President Biden to have Netanyahu here at a specific time, not a specific time. But as, as I think about it more and more, it's probably irrelevant, right, in terms of the effect it could have. Because sometimes you invite the prime minister and people think uh, that, uh, you, you know, you're trying to uh, uh, coddle the Jewish vote and, uh, you know, things like that. But it's probably irrelevant in this case, right? Largely, and the way they have demonized that Netanyahu has been demonized here, uh, it uh, probably does not have a major political impact. Yeah, even right. though you know, there are people in Congress and else who have called on the administration, you know, to welcome him and to send the right message. And uh, you know, I think you know, much more concern about the release of six billion dollars to the Iranians and what yeah. this means to Israel than. Uh, the snub, though, it, it does send a message to the region and the idea that uh, the relationship with the U.S. is impacted by how good your relationship with Israel. If you diminish that, you've taken away a very important asset. Yeah, I mean, uh, you walk around saying they're our most important ally in the Middle East. Treat them like you're the, they're the most important ally in the Middle East. By the way, is it done? Is it a done deal? Is all $6 billion transferred already? No. Which, no. Mean, which means a, por- a portion? The Iranians haven't haven't identified yet the prisoners that they they want. Uh. <laughs> they are saying that they are going to uh, they they named them on uh, on Tuesday, um, and then the U.S. has to to agree to it. They also have to set up a system where the U.S. says that the six billion dollars in frozen assets in South Korea uh, are going to be monitored, and that the U.S. will have. Inability to control. First of all, the money's fungible. We know that, right. but but the the um, uh, the co- all the conditions that need to be uh, set, I think, are are still in the works. And the uh, you know the American people, I think, when they, they will, will, are not very enthusiastic about it. Certainly, Congress is not um, enthusiastic about uh, any of this. And, and what we have seen is that the. The U.S. has essentially cleared the way for the uh, bank waivers to be able to transfer the money and not suffer for, you know, from the sanctions. And this is money is going to go to Qatar, where the um, U.S. sanctions, which is a major issue, um, are not going to be uh, relevant. So, and and then you saw that Raisi, who is coming to New York, by the way. Uh, and, and is uh, holding meetings with groups of people. Uh, you know, I don't think that that should be allowed in any event. They, they have to under the UN agreement that let it in, but he, he could be designated as a terrorist and as has been by others. In other instances, the, the regime is certainly a terrorist regime. But they're talking now that the... the um, that Raisi says that he will spend the $6 billion as he wants, and humanitarian means whatever the Iranian people need. 
and the needs of the Iranian people will be decided by the Iranian government. So already, before he even gets the money, he is throwing it in the face of uh, the American counterparts. And so, And we don't know how much other money will eventually be released. I think that the, the intention is to try to monitor it, but we know that that's virtually impossible. And how they're continuing to, to provide funds and uh, resources. You saw that Iran is building an airport in southern Lebanon near the border with Israel, within 12 miles of the border of Israel. Wow. Be purely, um, it, it's near Jazin, which is in uh, southeastern Lebanon, and the, um, for terror purposes. And Galat, the defense minister, showed satellite pictures showing, uh, and you can even see the Iranian flag flying over the runways. And they, this is, uh, you know, they're spending the money in, in not for the benefit of the people, not for food, not for any humanitarian purposes, but for the purposes that they determine. And that is for continuing terror to support the groups, to support the, the whole network of terrorist operations around Israel. Wow. Does Raisi, by the way, get the chance to address the General Assembly? That won't happen. You know, it does happen. I think he's going to do it on uh, wow. the Friday, the same day Netanyahu does. I'll tell you, they, they, they get an equal amount of uh, of coverage, respect, covered, if you will. They get elected for all the committees. They get to chair, I mean, committees on discrimination against women. Can you imagine the, the country that is doing what, arresting thousands of women and anybody who doesn't wear the job by their rules? I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to, to, to the Human Rights Council. The major violator of human rights in the world. Uh, I didn't realize that the I didn't realize a year ago that the year five seven eight three would end uh, still with a backwards world. But I guess that's what we have. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world. The web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman, conference or presidents of major American Jewish organizations. Final weekly update for five seven. Eight three. I don't know if Libya was offered. Uh, you could tell us in terms of the floods, but Morocco actually rejected uh, an effort by Israel to come and aid after the earthquake. Is that accurate? Well, no, I wouldn't say they rejected. They just didn't accept it. Uh, but not just from Israel, from many countries, from France, from others. They accepted from four or five countries, Qatar, UAE, I don't remember the others, but uh, from a few and in part, they say they don't have the resources to accommodate uh, all of these people who want to come in and, and help. There are Israelis working in the earthquake areas, but they're coming from voluntary organizations. And I think uh, you can see some of the vests and other vests on the people that are, are there sometimes in the pictures. And they are working in the mountains. Actually, they've gone up there to bring relief efforts, packages to do um, emergency medical treatment minor stuff but also to help in the evacuation it's a very difficult area you can't have most of the places are inaccessible by vehicle uh, you can only get there by helicopter mm-hmm. uh, so i think that they were just not in a position but it's not just uh, israel that that they didn't accept it didn't reject it but i think that they didn't know what they could accommodate and uh, and i'm assuming that there's there are no israelis in libya working there there are no Israelis. There are individual Israelis who actually did some business there, um, but no, there are not 
uh, and as far as I know, there are no rescue units going to, to Libya. The United States has uh, increased its security commitment to Bahrain. Now, I'm, 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 it, when I read this story, they compared it to what the U.S. has and has not done for the UAE, the commitments meaning for the UAE and others in the Middle East. I'm, I'm confused because why would Bahrain get this special treatment, especially as we, I think, as we've discussed, the United States is trying to you know, show both the UAE and, and other uh, areas and other countries in that region that we are a dependable ally. Uh, right. <laughs> so uh, the, we, we are giving them, uh, and it looks like we're going to sign an agreement. Uh, one of it, is, the part of it is contingent on human rights violations, which they say they will address uh, some of the concerns that were raised by the United States. Uh, Bahrain is a, is a true ally, and it is a, a major target of Iran. Uh, it is the gateway to Saudi Arabia. It's 14 miles across the causeway to, to the waterway to, to the Katif region where the oil, uh, Saudi Arabia's oil is largely located and which is largely a, a Shiite area that Iran constantly tries to exploit. Bahrain is very significant. Also, we have our fleet based in Bahrain and we have the naval fleet and we have uh, uh, other facilities there. So it's a small place, you know. It's not a major force in the in the region. It's an important place, and so I think that this deal is uh, maybe an incentive to others to to. Um hopefully come to some understanding with the United States as well. No, I get it now. It's a necessity to be more invested in Bahrain. I mean, now it makes sense because uh, of the situation you just described. And maybe the UAE is not as dependent uh, or in the future thinks they won't be as dependent on the U.S. as other countries, uh, in fact, do. I mean, Bahrain, as you just described, is literally a threat from Iran. I don't know if the UAE actually feels that way, right? If the UAE feels that it's a, it is threatened by Iran, they do. Of course, they do. No, but I'm saying, but I'm saying, in terms of le- in terms of level of concern, it sounds like Bahrain is higher than the UAE would be. It, yes, it is. Right. Um. The uh, Supreme Court in Israel, as the brand new year begins, is, and now explain to me how this is going on. They're now hearing arguments from each side in terms of the decision that they have to make about their own role in, in judicial reform going forward? As you know, this issue makes my brain hurt. <laughs> I never understand it, and every time I thought I understood something, I find out that I didn't understand it correctly. Uh, so the... But essentially, yes, they're determining now they're hearing um, presentations and then we'll make a decision. Uh, and there are people, I mean, it's quite interesting. It's like a Gemara session where there are people who are interpreting the questions of the indication of what their likely outcome will be of the decisions. But I think it's premature for that. Uh, the question is, what happens if they, you know, if they rule against the government, does the government ignore it? Does the government adhere to it? You know, many people say, you know, government has to adhere to the decisions. But on the other hand, it's exactly the that we face that the Supreme Court can overrule or it becomes the government in essence. Uh, so it goes to the core uh, of, uh, of the problem. Maybe it will be an incentive during this time that they can reach some sort of an understanding. Though I know there are continuing efforts to try to reach some sort of compromise. Uh, or maybe people will wait to see the outcome of this before they uh, they move ahead. 
but the, you know the the opposition has to be incentivized also because right now they gain from as long as the tensions continue, but Israel loses, and we see it the economic impact, the the deceptive uh, impact of this. I think it's very important. You know, while Israel hosts huge conferences and investors still come, and but there definitely is a, a financial and other impact. In, on, on people, I don't think it, a lot of what they're saying, you know, citing statistics that are not necessarily attributable just to this development, but it does have an undermining effect. And I speak to a lot of Israelis on all sides of the issue, and everybody wants to see this over. Does it come up in the Biden Netanyahu meeting next week? Hundred percent. Well, it doesn't have to wait for that. The American government speaks about it all the time, and tells you know the president has addressed it. Others. You know, it's part of the price of having such a close relationship that the government gets involved in who runs a major museum in Israel. The government gets involved in other issues, which we don't do in other countries. Yeah. Uh, and uh, here, this is really an internal matter. I understand, you know, perceptions and others are impacted by it. But, you know, I'm not sure that they would have this level of... Uh, of intervention and comment, et cetera, but, uh, in, in terms of other countries where, look at France, the violations uh, that are going on there and the incidents, and yet you don't hear this kind of criticism and, and comments. About to hit 10 million people in Israel, uh, 8 million of them approximately Jews, and it is that small number <laughs> that that creates such a desire among other nations and leaders, including the United States leaders, to intervene and to, uh, and to dictate uh, to the country what they should or should not be doing to the level that you just described. It's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. You, you know, it's a good day of reflection, right? It's the last day of the year. It's pretty remarkable when you think of it that way, right? Such a small number of people in a tiny little country has the effect that you just described regarding foreign policy? It is quite remarkable. We'll reach the 10 million, God willing, at the end of this this year, I think. And um, if you would have told people that Israel would be a population of 10 million, 70-some percent of them Jews, and the balance seems to remain pretty constant, uh, that the people would have said that that was not really uh, possible. That was a dream. And, you know, we, we don't appreciate how much Israel has grown and absorbed the populations. And, you know, with all of the problems that Israel has, the fact is that it's still a, a miracle every day. And with a relatively stable economy and with high tech and, and billions of dollars going in and out on a constant basis, I mean, you know, if you were to, if you were to destroy, they may, have, they may have been able to comprehend previous generations, may have been able to comprehend the 10 million number. I don't know if they would have gotten the whole commerce thing and the way that, uh, uh, that businesses operate now and investors look toward Israel and Israel, you know, brings the world so many, many innovations. That may have been the more difficult part for them to believe. And, and too much, too many of us take for granted. If you think of the burdens that Israel has faced, the, the terrorism, the wars, the constant pressure, the need to spend money on defense, on security, on guards everywhere, on all of that. And yet the economy can boom the way it has. And, you know, there are still people there who don't have the food sufficiency. There are a lot below poverty line. The economic miracle is undeniable and, and is the envy of countries around the world. Jeffrey's company just had a, a major conference there with a, 
record attendance, uh, I think, and the uh, other conferences that are, are being held. It's, it's incredible. And, and you see the, the role that Israel plays in, in the, the region that uh, with the, from water tech, the agri-tech, the, the basic needs of life that African countries want, that Asian countries want, and that other Arab countries want whole thing is remarkable. All right, I told you that, or I said to the audience that uh, we have a comprehensive um, uh, discussion for Rabbi Yudin, so we have to cut things a drop short, but I don't want to do so without the two things. We'll do this uh, end-of-year message in two parts. First of all, uh, I always feel a responsibility, Malcolm, just to remind all the synagogues, all the auxiliary gatherings that are taking place. There are a lot of facilities being used for Rosh Hashanah and Kippur that are not used and therefore not secured properly year-round. There's no need year-round to secure them properly. So I think it's just important to remind everybody that they should pay careful attention tonight as they go to synagogue in terms of the safety situation, uh, the uh, the emergency contingency plans, where the phones in shuls are, etc., etc. I know obviously uh, you join me in reminding everybody about this. We not only join in reminding people about it, but it is essential. This year, we saw more than 50 cases of, of what is called swatting. In, in, in the last two months, um, there were 50 shuls that had to evacuate the uh, their congregations uh, over Shabbos, uh, dominating and stuff because of these false reports. Swatting is where, you know, they call up and they say there's an armed attack taking place, et cetera. Right. And to get to the law enforcement, fire departments, others have to come out. And, uh, you know, it becomes a danger because then they become suspect when they get uh, such calls, although they continue to respond. But it's one of the things that, uh, you know, people have to know how to respond and how to not create panic. Uh, and therefore, the training in advance is, is really uh, critical. We, we don't diminish at all. The concerns we have about people who come into this country, maybe from uh, Iranians or others, with hostile intent, the um, the need for people to take, as we talked, what ten years about this need for um, to take seriously the threats uh, that are uh, uh, targeting us more than any other, uh, as much as any other community. Although we do see rise in in anti other groups uh, coming up. So, people, please listen to what Nachum is saying. Go to to the scan. Go to CSS. Go to other groups that are providing assistance, and uh, make sure you take all the steps necessary not to dissuade people from coming but to make sure you offer them the safest atmosphere for them. Yeah, especially, again, because on the high holidays, uh, locations that are not normally used for services are being used. Everyone pay careful attention, set things up uh, properly uh, to everyone's benefit, please, God. And finally, of course, Malcolm, uh, your message for the new year. You just gave a, a great message regarding uh, appreciating Israel, but in general, uh, you know how this audience uh, always demands that you uh, uh, that you include uh, some words of, uh, of positive, of reinforcement about about the Jewish world, our tradition, our heritage, your thoughts as 5784 begins. I think that the most important message I would derive from this year, and I had much longer thing prepared to say, but I want to say that the bottom line message is that we have to stress the importance of Achdus, of the unity of Klal Yisrael. When you see all the references to the singular and to the for, for how we are, are told 
that the essence of, of, uh, of our ability to go to Kodesh Baruch is when we go there as a united people and that we've seen that the bonds are being rend asunder, that our enemies recognize this and they're the ones who take advantage of it. And, um, you know, when you see the, the um, statements in the davening about Mispar Hadoros Lafonov, that the parents transmitting to the secrets uniting with past generations, unity has to be across time and across generations that we draw inspirations from the past. But the one lesson we learn consistently is Achtos. And when Jews are fighting Jews, as we see today, and I think that there are sinews that have been broken and important links that are endangered between people in Israel and, and elsewhere, that it's spreading this cancer and that those who are seeking to divide are reveling in what has happened this year, that the, all the energy, all the uh, money, all the costs that somehow they're able, able to discover, instead of investing that in those who don't have, those who need elderly, young, those who can't afford a Jewish education, that, to, that we have to reassess the priorities of our community. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously a much more a much longer and a more important message, but this year more than ever. That we have to be We know that this is the condition that a Kaddish Baruch Hu sets for every great miracle that's happened to the Jewish people is when we stand united. Phenomenal and so important. And it's easier to be united during tough times. Let's not, God forbid, make the one above make things more difficult for us just to get that unity. Let's do it on our own. Malcolm, I take this opportunity to wish you and your family a happy, healthy, sweet new year. We should have a great 5784 together and share wonderful Simchadik occasions together in the upcoming year. Amen. And only good news. We're going to really pledge that we're going to make sure <laughs> that everything, everything is only going to be positive. And, uh, and you know, you can listen to some of the other stuff, but uh, we're going to have only good things this year. Certainly going to focus on the positive. Happy, healthy, sweet New York, and I thank you. Uh, there will be a weekly update, please, God, next week, everybody. The first one of the year uh, coming up on Erev Shabbos Shuva.